welcome to Chill Pill Poetry, brought to you in association with PoetsWall.com, the home of Poets with Parkinson's. I'm Nige, and in this podcast I'll be chatting about poetry matters, many and varied. So stick around and have a listen. There's bound to be something that floats your boat. This poem is entitled Crow Hill. The farms are oozing craters in sheer sides under the sodden moors. When it is not wind, it is rain, neither of which will stop at doors. One will damp beds and the other shake dreams beneath sleep it cannot break. Between the weather and the rock, farmers make a little heat. Cows that sway a bony back, pigs upon delicate feet, hold off the sky Trample the strength that shall level these hills at length. Buttoned from the blowing mist walk the ridges of ruined stone. What humbles these hills has raised the arrogance of blood and bone and thrown the hawk upon the wind in the dripping ground. Quite an opening, I should say. Crow Hill. That's by one Ted Hughes, I'm sure many of you will have heard of, if not all of you. Ted, famous quality poet, highly rated, in his own, whatever that means, in his own uh, right, um, but also famous for having married an equally brilliant poet, uh, Sylvia Plath, the American tragic Sylvia. This one's called Snowdrop. Now is the globe shrunk tight round the mouse's dulled, Entering heart. Weasel and crow, as if moulded in brass, move through the outer darkness, not in their right minds with the other deaths. She too pursues her ends, brutal as the stars of this month, her pale head heavy as metal. Interesting take on that one. This next poem is called Dawn's Rose. Dawn's rose is melting an old frost moon. Agony under agony. The quiet of dusk and the crow talking to stony skylines. Desolate is the crow's puckered cry. As an old woman's mouth when the eyelids have finished and the hills continue. A cry wordless as the newborn baby's breathing on the steely scales. As the dull gunshot and its after-row swung conifers on the rainy twilight. Or the suddenly dropped, heavily dropped star of blood on the fat leaf. Okay, I thought that was superb. This is called a smile. I'm afraid it's starting to go a bit darker already, isn't it? <laughs> it wasn't intended, actually, I'm sorry. Poem chooses the poet, as they say. Who they are, I don't know, but anyway. This is a smile by Ted Hughes. The smile began under the groan of the oldest forest. It ran through the clouds, a third light, and it ran through the skin of the earth. It came circling the earth, like the lifted bow of a wave submarine running, tossing the willows and swelling the elm tops, 
looking for its occasion. But people were prepared. They met it with visor smiles, mirrors of ricochet with smiles that stole the bone, and smiles that went off with a mouthful of blood, and smiles that left poison in a numb place, or doubled up, covering a getaway. But the smile was too vast, it outflanked all, it was too tiny, it slipped between the atoms, so that the steel screeched open like a gutted rabbit. The skin was nothing, then the pavement and the air and the light confined all the jumping blood, no better than a paper bag. People were running with bandages, but the world was a drafty gap, the whole creation, the whole creation was just a broken gutter pipe. And there was the unlucky person's eye, pinned under its brow, widening for the darkness behind it which kept right on getting wider, darker, as if the soul was not working. And at that very moment the smile arrived, and the crowd, chewing to get a glimpse of the man's soul, stripped to its last shame, that rose through torn roots, touching his lips, altering his eyes, and for a moment mending everything, before it swept out and away across the earth. Oh, I'd like to smoke a two, didn't I? Having done these, read these few, I'm seeing him in a different light. Actually, he's quite a quite a heavy dude, isn't he? <laughs> and it's all nature, mostly and stuff. You know, like a natural, uh, most of the expression, um, pastoral. Um, yeah, you know, pretty heavy there, uh, Ted. Heavy scene, man. Mm. Little point. He uses the title as the, as the um, first line. Um, so he, the, the the first sentence appears, well, does carry on from the title, um, which is interesting because Simon Armitage, who we'll come to in a moment, also suggests that um, as poets you use um, the title as a means of setting the scene. You know, people sort of say, oh, I don't get poetry, what, what was it about? I remember in the first episode we touched on that subject. Well, there's the answer, you see. If you call it Black Rose, guess what it's about? Gives <laughs> you start off a ten at least anyway, doesn't it? The other thing I want to talk about briefly is that um, reading poetry is, is pretty damn tricky, really. I hate this convention of starting each line with a capital letter. I don't do it. Um, but when you're reading it, it's, um, it's particularly tricky, for me anyway. Why we do it, I don't know. Um, if anyone can offer me a, a logical reason, I'd be happy to comply. But other than um, trying to be all poety, to distinguish yourself from others, I don't see the bloody point, to be honest. But, uh, that's me, old-fashioned. Or am I avant-garde on the cutting edge? Yeah, that's me, cutting edge. Ooh, yeah, but the thing is, if you, if you can't read, if you can't read a poem fluidly, it doesn't flow. You don't get the the essence of it particularly well. 
And if I'm reading somebody else's work, I often have to uh, transpose it into a form where I can read it. That's not to change the essence of it, the, the substance, sorry, the, change the substance of it. But for me to ring it, read it, it, I read it with my speech pattern, my use of intonation and nuance and all the rest of it. I'm breathing pattern. You see, I'm a bit breathy now because uh, I'm all parkies and hunched up and trying my best. But, um, yeah, the punctuation of it, it helps, it helps. Anyway, enough of that. Moving on, we'll now look at uh, Mr. Simon Armitage, a guy I've got a lot of time for. And, of course, he's a fellow Yorkshireman. Okay, this is To His Lost Lover by Simon Armitage. Now they are no longer any trouble to each other. He can turn things over, get down to that list of things that never happened. All of the lost, unfinishable business. For instance, for instance, how he never clipped and kept her hair, or drew a, a hairbrush through that style of hers, and never knew how not to blush at the fall of her name in close company. How they never slept like buried cutlery. Two spoons or forks cupped perfectly together. Or made the most of some heavy weather. Walked out into hard rain under sheet lightning. Or did the gears while the other was driving. How he never raised his fingertips to stop the segments of her lips from breaking the news or tasted fruit. Or picked for himself the pair of her heart or lifted her hand to where his heart was the small, dark, terrified bird in her grip, where it hurt. Or said the right thing, or put it in writing, and never fled the black mile back to his house before midnight, or coaxed another button of her blouse, then another, or knew her favourite colour, her taste, her flavour, and never ran a bath or held a towel for her, or soft-soaked her, or whipped her hair into an ice-cream cornet, or a beehive of lava, or acted out of turn, or misbehaved where he might have, or worked a comb where no comb had been, or walked back home through a black mile hugging a punctured heart, where it hurt, where it hurt, or helped her hand to his butterfly heart, in its two blue halves. And never almost cried, and never once descried an attack of the heart under a silk shirt, nursed in his hand her breast, her left, like a tear of flesh, wept by the heart where it hurt, or brushed with his thumb the nut of her nipple, or drank intoxicating liquors from her navel, or christened the pole star in his name, or shielded the mask of her face like a flame, a pilot light, or stayed the night, or steered her back to that house of his, or said, don't ask me to say how it is, I like you, I just might do. How he never figured out a fireproof plan, or unravelled her hand, 
as if her hand were a solid ball of silver foil, and discovered a lifeline hiding inside it, and measured the trace of his own alongside it, but said some things and never meant them, sweet nothings anybody could have, could have mentioned, and left unsaid some things he should have spoken about the heart, where it hurt exactly and how often. Yeah, well, that is pretty impressive poetry, isn't it? I mean, well, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, it's his own bloody fault, isn't it? He got his chuffing finger out and did the right thing and acted like a proper... told her how much he loved her and stuff instead of messing about. But then you think, well, you give it a little bit more thought and you think, well, some people just aren't like that, are they? You know, they lose out in life because they're so, I don't know, apathetic, weak, and I don't mean that in a cruel way, but wishy-washy, shy, or whatever. And shyness is a terrible thing, isn't it, as well, I think. You know, crippling. Oh, there's so many things that you could get from this, but let's keep it a little bit more technical. So there are rhymes. There is a rhyme scheme, but it's random, it's free verse. The repetitive heart theme is what strings it all together for me. And um, it's, it's clever like that. Clever. Um, and there's these little rhymes, these little couplets scattered about. Some are half rhymes, some are full rhymes. Um, and, it, and it's basically just a list of all his failures. <laughs> I mean, I could see him reading that and think, yeah, fair enough, yeah, I didn't deserve her, really. Go back and get her, mate. Go back and get her. Now, Simon's um, is a is still the poet laureate of what is a former poet laureate. I don't know. I, can't, I don't keep up with these things, but he's definitely a poet a poet laureate. Um, which doesn't attest to his skill as a poet, but it does attest to his uh, commitment and passion for the poetic arts. And um, I have a lot of time for Simon. It's got a lot of handy hints that have helped me. Um, this this thing that I keep going on about not going going through the front door, you know, not, not going for the obvious. Um, that's that's one of his tips. And the, the title, uh, using the, the title to set the scene, that's another of his tips. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of time for Simon. A lot of time for Simon. This next one is True North by Simon Armitage. Hitching home for the first time. The last leg being a bummed ride in a cold guards van. Through the unmanned stations to a platform iced with snow. It's not much to crow about. The trip from one term at Portsmouth Poly. All that Falklands business still yet to come. From there the village looked, stopped. A clutch of houses in a toy snowstorm with the dust settled. And me ready to stir it. Loaded up with a haul of a new fax. Half expecting flags or bunting. A ticker tape welcome, a fanfare or a civic reception. In the old new inn, two men sat locked in an arm wrestle. Their one combined fist dithered like a compass needle. Later, after Easter, they would ask me outside for saying Malvinas in the wrong place at the wrong time. But that night was Christmas and the drinks were on them. Christmas. At home I hosted a new game, stretch a tissue. Like a snare drum over a brandy glass. Put a penny on, spark up, and take turns to dimp 
burning sigs through the diaphragm before the tissue gives and the penny drops. As the guests yawn their heads off, I lectured about wolves, how they mass on the shoreline of Bosnia. Wait for the weather, then make the crossing when the gulf heals over. You see, that's... <laughs> that's, that, that's quite... I mean, it's my part of the world, so I can resonate with it um, a little bit, yeah. Um, but the humility, you know, you can look back and think, you know, I was a precocious little prick at that time. <laughs> Maybe didn't think he was a prick, but, you know, plonker. And it's all part of coming of age, you know. I didn't go to uni with all the other guys and girls. Had a year out of work and then my life went in a different path. But I can remember the first, that first Christmas they came home. And they were so full of themselves. <laughs> um, they were no different to me. They were just the same, but with um, arsy talk and ideas and uh, above the station. <laughs> but kind of cute, really. I mean, I saw it, saw it with, my, with my own daughter, you know, and come back all of a sudden, they're all grown up and all this kind of thing. And they're not really, not at all. But um, there's... Yeah, I remember the Falkland thing, as, as everybody does, and, um, you know, half expecting that flags are a bunting or a ticker tape welcome. Yeah, you think you're something special. Yeah, but uh, stretch of tissue, you know, the game that you've got, you know, every, every, it's the excitement of, um, of, of being on the threshold of adulthood, isn't it, I suppose, being kinder. Great um, poem. Before we leave Yorkshire, we'll just nip over and have a word with Tony. Tony Harrison. I'll say a word. I'll listen to his words, rather. It might be more appropriate. So, moving straight on to Tony Harrison of Leeds. Tony writes very um, bold, um, no holds bar, emotional, personal poetry. This is called An Old Score. Capless, conscious of the cold patch on my head where my father's jeans have made me almost bald. I walk along the street where he dropped dead. My hair cut is length now, although I'm called poet in my passport. When it touched my ears, he dubbed me Paganini, and it hurt. I did then and do now choke back my tears. We are like that, you ought to wear a skirt. If I'd got a violin for every day, he'd said, where's the fiddle? And my flowing hair, I'd have a whole string orchestra to play romantic background. Once more I'm there, where we went for my forced fortnightly clip. Now under new, less shearing ownership. And in the end, it's that that makes me cry. Joe Saloon's become curl up and die. Oh dear, what a memory. <laughs> yeah, you know, you kind of... It's the little things, isn't it, again? It's always the little things. This is called Illuminations. The two machines on Blackpool Central Pier, the long drop and the haunted house, gave me my thrills the holiday that post-war year but my father watched me spend impatiently. 
Another tanner's worth, but then no more. But I sneaked back the moment that you napped. Fifty weeks of ovens and six years of war made you want to sleep and ozone, and you snapped. Bugger the machines, breathe God's fresh air. I sulked all week, I wouldn't hold your hand. I'd never heard you mention God or swear, and it took me until now to understand. I see now all the piled old pence turned green, enough to hang the murderer all year, and stare at millions of ghosts in the machine. The penny dropped in time. Wish you were here. And that's brilliant. It takes a bit of... It's not obvious to start with, but... Um, so poignant. You know, it, it's such a shame that we only really get what our parents are about when we're, old, we're a lot older and parents, maybe parents ourselves. Um, but it, you know, he worked his socks off and he... Dad was tired and the war and yeah, and that little laugh, a penny dropped. The little references that tie into the to the uh, the um, arcade machines and things and yeah, it's lovely, lovely, lovely stuff. That sad but lovely, lovely writing and clever stuff. Thanks, Tony, for uh, letting us into your your personal world, your personal space. Okay, now for another Tony. This Tony is from Manchester. This is Tony Walsh. Tony famously did um, an, an address to um, the city of Manchester after the concert bombing to unify the, the city. Um, and this is taken from his book Sex and Love and Rock and Roll. And uh, you'll see, as you'll see shortly, it's quite different. I call it a northern lyrical style. It sounds a bit pompous, but it's just I like to quantify things and, and refer to things and understand them and that's how this is part of the process that I, I, I do I name things and group them together and uh, I find it easier to to think about that way so this is um, a few points from Tony and you'll see they're completely different but just as powerful this one's called someone it's only quite short very short in fact a little bit of a dialect injection here so note means of course nothing out means anything and something means something Keep up because it's quite mm, intricate, but it, it it's something it's quite special. I, I love it. Anyway, someone by Tony Walsh, and she made do with note, and she never said out, but she should have said something to someone. If you haven't got out, you can never say out, and she never got no help from no one. But I'll tell you something. I'll tell you for note. See, she never did no harm to no one. And she'd do out for note, and she'd never take out. And that summit should make you a someone. Yeah, true kindness is both silent and selfless. We all know somebody like that who'd do anything for anybody. And that's beautifully summed up in those few lines. This is a, a brilliant, brilliant piece um, called Smoke Lonely. She knew she'd miss the hollow in the sofa where they sat, and his rattle, and his whistle, tap and hum. But she never thought she'd miss the way he'd fart, and blame the cat, or his love poem to Carol Vorderman's bum. She knew that she would miss him fixing everything, well nearly, 
and his blazing, scathing raving at the box. But she never thought she'd miss the way his eyes would speak so clearly, or his big toe peeping through those bloody socks. She knew that she would miss the solid warmth of him in bed, and the bonds and vows and promises they shared. But she never thought she'd miss the way a map or A to Z would always lead to World War Three declared. She knew that she would miss the mirrored hearts he drew in steam, and the way they seemed to ghost back every day. But she never thought she'd miss the crumbs of death by custard cream, or the duvet's smooth manoeuvring his way. She knew she'd miss his prickled kiss, the man before he'd shaved, reborn as baby soft and smooth and clean. But she never thought she'd miss the woe-betide mark where he'd bathed, or his fairy tale tales of princesses and queens. She knew she'd miss the way that he would hold her till first light. I know he'd say, I know, I know, I know. But she never thought she'd miss him smoking lonely in the night in the spare room with her heirlooms kept just so. She knew she'd miss the way they'd cook for two on Christmas Day, their hopes afloat in toasts of blood-red booze. But she never thought she'd miss his soft amen when they would pray with their eyes closed tight to hide their baby blues. She knew she'd miss her young man, always strong and free and wild, how he'd take her, her expectant girlish screams. But she never thought she'd miss him as an old man, like a child who'd mistake her for the daughter of their dreams. Wow. You're not ready for that last line, are you? I wasn't, anyway. Um, but yeah, God. Again, it's the little details and things. But contrast that um, with Tony Harrison's. Both are powerful, both conveying sadness and loss and regret and things. But both of them approach completely different styles, and both are effective. So. Have one more from Tony Walsh, and then we'll move on to Cumbria. Another one from Tony. This one's called Spangles. She had this filthy giggle, and a captivating wiggle, and a sexy little jiggle as she walked. And her arms were charmed with bangles, and they'd jingle and they'd jangle, and they'd sparkle and they'd spangle as she talked. Like the stardust that was sprinkled, in her eyes to make them twinkle, and the cutest little wrinkle when she smiled. And she had this graceful waddle, that would grace a supermodel. When she walked me home it nearly drove me wild. So one night I softly nudged her, and I told her that I loved her, but I guess I'd misjudged her cause she laughed. And she jangled and she jiggled, and she spangled and she wiggled, and she wriggled and she giggled, don't be daft. And despite all my insistence, my delusional persistence, she began to keep her distance, I would find. And so much to my confusion, I came round to the conclusion that our love was an illusion in my mind. <laughs> and it's not her filthy giggle, or her captivating wiggle, 
or the sexy little jiggle of her thighs. I miss the music from her bangles, and her jingles, and her jangles, and the sparkles, and the spangles in her eyes. Oh, <laughs> not a lot to say about that, but isn't it, isn't it, it's just so good. You know what, I'm going to do another tone as well, just because I, I, I just like him so much. Okay, this is um, a little short one from Tony, Tony Walsh, called Small Elephants. The father taught his son a line remembered from his own childhood on how to spell because. Big elephants can always understand small elephants, he said. The boy laughed and his father smiled because he understood that the child would never forget. Simple as that. So now we're in Cumbria, and um, I want to introduce you, if you're not familiar with him, to the work of Jacob Poley. Or Poley, I think it's Poley. Yeah. I'm going to read from just one book. He's got three books that I know of. He probably has more. Um, the Brink, The Havoc, and Little Gods. This is Little Gods that I'm reading from today. I'm just going to read his stuff and uh, leave you to make up your own mind. Let's get into it. Stop talking. This is April by Jacob Poley. Now there is only the sound of the rain, which is the shape of the streets and the ropes of overflow knitting at the mouths of drains and fraying from the gutters and downpipes. Whatever the leaves were saying must wait. Rain has filled the trees with its own brisk word there's thunder in the darkened slates. The pond's green eye rolls heavenwards. You can't charge a page with the hiss, with this cooling of the city like a new horseshoe. Rain in the hair, at the neck and the wrists, for rich and poor, there's rain to hurry through. The boil and spit of pavements, mirrored brick, Every patch of grass is fiercely lit. This next one is called A Crow's Skull. A Crow's Skull. A Crow's Skull, found beside the railway line and bleached in a tin. Then sent to you before I knew the trouble we were in. This skull, like a ring, is the least it can be, and all its candour comes from what's lost, what's no more, and is not as mine does, now I speak of us. Moving swiftly on, this is called the accordion. My fingers on the yellow keys and the black, the parachute strap across my back, all I do is squeeze, bellows, a huge book draws breath in my lap, I'm a strong man bending air till it squeals, a charmer, struggling the to snap the latch on a creel of snakes. The tattoos on my arms ache, behind its folds I hide my face. It's called the mirror. I'm the mirror, half a moon above the hearth, where your faces surface then disappear. Rearrange the room and you rearrange me. I'm tired of looking from wherever I'm hung or stood. Tired of never closing. Tired of never turning off. 
I abide by whatever's before me. Whatever's before me, I become. Drape me in a sheet. Hundred times still working. Turn me to the wall. I pay it the closest attention. Break me and every piece of me is full. This one's called The Turn. You pull the front door to by the cold horseshoe for all the luck in the world has left you. The weir shuttle sticks. The ignorant owl cries who. You're dressed in weeds. Now you've swallowed her echo, the moon facing you over the fields. You drip like a cave wall, so hard have you all swallowed. So far down does her cold echo roll. The night smells of matchboxes, chimneys, milk, rosehips, apples and river silt. But your heart, your pinhole heart, cringes blind in its burrow. And lastly, skin and bone. There's not much left of me. I'm light. I've sharpened my face. I smile like a knife. I carry myself like the moon through the night. If I ran now, I'd run my life. Out of town. Against currents, tides. All odds, good reason, fate and time. Back to her back as we lay on our sides. And I measured each breath by the length of her spine. October, November, leaves and smoke. The coal man pulls up in his flatbed truck. Who would believe I stand where I am, so long at the window, lost in a coat, under a street lamp, my shadow unstuck. Only she with her clock and her old almanac can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to talk about those poems I just read, it's pretty difficult without boring everyone to tears. They're obviously quite opaque, some of them. Um, fantastic poetry. I, I'm a big fan of Jacob's words. Um, the Mirror and the Accordion one, um, I mean, how clever and, and uh, well put together are those. Description of playing the, the accordion. <laughs> Absolutely genius. And the mirror, a personification of the mirror, brilliant. Anyway, I'll stop there. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Hopefully. Bye.